This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. On The Exchange, we love to cover customer retention and customer experience. And strangely enough, we've never had a guest on the show to talk about the retention tool that I find myself recommending most often, and that's email marketing. Today, we're going to focus on the importance of customer retention, how to evaluate your efforts, and specifically go over email tactics and strategies you can use to boost your customer retention. There are a ton of people out there that can speak to email marketing as an acquisition channel, but only a select few, in my opinion, that can talk at the same level about retention marketing through email. We're excited to have one of those people joining us today. Today, we have Val Geisler, email strategist, founder of Fix My Churn, and currently customer evangelist at Clavio. Welcome to the show, Val. Hey, thanks for having me. So Val, normally we ask our guests to give us a deep dive on the company you're at, but frankly, you'd need to be living under a rock to not know of Clavio at this point. You guys are crushing it. You're in the news wire. And um, of course, we'd love to hear about Clavio. But I think one thing that would be interesting, given your experience, is to explain your journey. How did you become the authority on retention? How did you fall in love with, with email and, and the retention story? Yeah, sure. So for those who don't know, Clavio is... Uh, at- really actually a data tool, but it largely used for email marketing and SMS. Um, so, uh, but we help e-commerce businesses grow um, and to really empower creators to do what they do best. My kind of journey to Clavio is uh, I've run a consulting freelance business for over a decade now. Um, and that business has evolved over time, but I've always worked with small businesses, uh, kind of grew into larger businesses at one point. Uh, I started in email marketing when I worked in-house at another ESP for about a year and a half. And when I left there, I was freelancing again and uh, consulting with mostly SaaS companies because I came from a SaaS company. Those are the contacts that I had uh, working with them on their onboarding customer retention. That was something that was always interesting to me. Even before I worked in the world of email, I was uh, like a project manager for creatives, for people who built websites and uh, made t-shirts and had all kinds of businesses. And it was really interesting to me to think about this customer journey and uh, the life cycle of a customer and how you keep a customer coming back again and again and again. Um, And the idea that was thrown to us one time in a all hands meeting when I was in house was, you know, what if we turned off all acquisition channels? If we stopped running paid ads, if we like, you know, obviously there's still a button on our website to start a trial or whatever. Um, but if we like stopped working on that, what would we do to increase our MRR, our monthly recurring revenue? And, um, and that was a really interesting question to me. How can we increase MRR without uh, without acquiring new customers? And not that it's, you know, you're not acquiring, acquiring new customers, but not focusing on that channel. So that was kind of what got me set off on this journey of what does customer onboarding like look like? Because you can't you can't retain your customers if they're never properly onboarded first, properly welcomed into your brand, um, and they don't know how to help you bring other customers in unless you are talking about that with them. Um, so this idea of like building a relationship with your existing customers became really important. And this was, uh, let's see, 
five years ago um, when this conversation wasn't happening a lot, unfortunately. There was really nobody speaking to customer retention and email marketing when I started talking about it. And I often and probably even still feel like I'm screaming into an abyss. Um, But maybe in this conversation, I won't feel that much anymore. I hope you don't feel that way. And (laughs) I love what you said there about what would happen if we turned off all acquisition. And this idea of retention being a focus for SaaS companies, you were talking like five years ago. Yeah. I think that's when SaaS companies really started to turn their attention, turn attention to retention. Mm -hmm. That's a a mouthful. Um, But I feel like it's really only starting to happen in e-commerce right now. You talked a bit about talking into the abyss or like... I've been talking about retention for like five years, and I feel like we're finally starting to get some traction in e-commerce right now. What do you think's going on right now that we're starting to see more interest and more focus being put on retention in e-commerce right now? The CPG world has had a major influence on e-commerce in general and uh, has exploded the world of e-commerce. The idea that you can buy Uh, a food product or a a makeup product through uh, online is still fairly new. Um, That maybe not that you can actually buy it, but that people are willing to do that. That it's kind of like when Zappos first started selling shoes online and everyone was like, I'm not buying shoes online. I need to go try those on. Like sometimes I wear a seven, sometimes I wear an eight, like, you know, I don't know. So, and they just said, yeah, you can. And this is how you can do it. Uh, I think Amazon probably had the same thing when they started selling books online. Uh, there's always that kind of push against like, no, that's not how we do it. So we're not going to. And if there's enough of a, a push against it and saying like, hey, yeah, actually you can. And we're going to make it an enjoyable experience. Um, those CPG brands have really made it an enjoyable experience for a lot of people. Um, through powerful subscriptions and uh, replenishment models. And those things have really drawn attention of other brands who are saying, wow, look at the explosion and growth that you can have when you have a subscription-based product. Um, And yeah, and uh, that kind of alongside... The rising cost of customer acquisition, the rising cost of paid ads, um, and barriers to entry. So not just cost, but like the actual changing of the platform, uh, all of the new privacy changes and data changes, which in my opinion are good things for consumers, um, not so great for brands. So that those two things happening, this like adoption of online purchasing through CPG the increase in cost and barrier to entry to acquisition, and then the world's greatest curse and blessing, the pandemic, which brought us the only ability to get things was through the mail. So those it was kind of the perfect storm of um, starting to think about, okay, well, we have all these new customers. Uh, how do we keep them around? I mean, I worked with a brand last year that sold T-shirts and they had a T-shirt subscription. And it's, I always think like if Bombas can sell socks to people every single month, you can literally sell anything on subscription. It's just a matter of how you position it and the, the cadence and, um, all of those things. There's definitely a point where like your sock drawer is full. Um, but then Bombas is talking about gifting and talking about, 
um, you know, other ways to continue to engage with the brand. You talked a lot about CPG then. And I think some of the retention tools you talked about there, like subscription, you hit on loyalty programs for a second there. They really lend themselves to consumables, cosmetics, things that you're going to be replenishing all the time. But I know we're going to talk about email specifically. And the reason I love email for retention is because I feel like it can be applied to any industry where maybe some of these other tactics lend themselves a little bit better to a certain vertical. But before we go into the specifics of email as a retention tool, I want to get your thoughts on when you're thinking about retention, what's kind of that go-to North Star metric that you think these e-commerce, that e-commerce brands should be paying attention to? Because if, I was, if someone was to go Google it, they might get CLV, they might get repeat purchase rate, they might get purchases per year. To you, what's that North Star of retention that brands should be looking at? Uh, engagement with your brand. Um, so it's a little bit of a harder data point to track. So if you want like a super hard data point that I would say uh, repeat purchase rate, that's one that you can go find right now and point to. Um, but engagement with your brand is like, how often are they uh, clicking through on emails? How much are they replying to your SMS? How um, how many times are they uh, maybe logging into their account if they have one, if you have that functionality? Um, those kinds of like softer data points, I think are really key indicators of a customer's retention. Repeat purchase rate is definitely one because um, obviously the more they purchase in a shorter period of time, the more likely they are to stick around. There's a great brand uh, that has this really cool second purchase thank you email. So I think a lot of brands have this, you know, first purchase thank you email we send and it's like, hey, thanks for your purchase. We'd love your review. Okay, well, one... <laughs> Don't ask for a review before the product gets to them. Um, but two, having a, a separate new copy for a second purchase and a third purchase, um, just acknowledging that. I think that this brand's just the only difference between the first purchase and the second purchase, the email says in the second one, like, thanks again for supporting us. It's like that word again, like is acknowledging I'm not getting the same email I got the first time I made a purchase. You know that I came back. And it's those little things that make all the difference. And also that's when you ask for the uh, review is on that second purchase. I love what you're calling out here about using a tactic after uh, the second purchase and the third purchase, actually switching up the email. And I think one thing that uh, jumps out at me when we're thinking about email and what you just mentioned on this engagement metric, it almost takes us a level higher where most brands are thinking, I got to drive to purchase. So every email tactic I need to release should drive straight to a purchase. And I think engagement, hearing you say that all of a sudden opens up my mind a bit to some other opportunities that I haven't even thought about and would love to ask you about. So do you see any specific tactics with email that are driving toward an engagement that isn't a purchase, but still puts a customer on the path to a repeat purchase or, or retention? Yeah. Uh, my favorite is uh, driving them toward disengaging temporarily. Oh, gosh. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's big. Yeah. So uh, last year, Black Friday, um, you know, it was a tough year for a lot of people. And my clients, we, with everyone I worked with, we implemented an opt-out of Black Friday email uh, option. So we sent an email. We sent two of them um, that... Uh, offered the opportunity to opt out of Black Friday. Within that email is a preview of here's what our Black Friday deals are as much as they 
each brand was willing to share publicly before it went out. Um, but here's what we're going to be offering. We also totally understand if you're not in a place to participate this year, or if you just simply like don't want to hear about it. If you don't want to get seven emails in three days, um, that's totally fine. And you can opt out of those emails, but stay on our email list. Um, that was the only call to action in those emails was to opt out of Black Friday specific emails. And every time we hit send, we made sales on those emails. So people would click like the logo at the top of the email and it drove revenue by offering people an opportunity to walk away for a little bit. Um, I saw this happen a bunch with brands over Mother's Day and uh, I saw some brands package like Mother's Day, Father's Day together. But um, yeah, those those chances that you can say like, hey, take a break for a minute um, and and messaging that's not around buying anything always creates revenue, always when you're building relationship. And even when people don't purchase, they are very likely to reply and say, wow, that means a lot. Thank you so much. Um, there was one brand, uh, Three Ships. I put a screenshot that they shared with me in an article I wrote about empathy on Mother's Day. Um, they had a screenshot of like 25 plus replies from their customers from and that was just in that day like the replies they got immediately after sending their mother's day opt-out email so whether those customers made a purchase or not those people who replied are most likely customers for life because they were saying thank you so much for doing this it means a lot to me um i some of them even said i didn't opt out but i just want to like tell you this is really cool um so it's those opportunities to create human connection that drive long-term retention uh, and can drive revenue in unexpected ways. The empathy of it and just like the, the understanding of the customer. And you're talking about people emailing back and replying. And I feel like there's so much advice out there where it's like always have a CTA driving to a product page. And like here we're talking about a tactic where we're actually encouraging people to disengage and wanting people to engage with us deeper are you seeing brands out there putting kind of retention campaigns together where there isn't really like, they're not driving them to anything at all other than like, Hey, just reply. Let's have a conversation. Like, are, are we starting to see brands do more of that? Starting to. And what I love about this is it's not just about building relationship with your customers, but it's also about building a relationship with the inbox, which is something that we don't think about a lot until it's a problem is deliverability of your emails. Um, so People care about deliverability when there's a problem, but being proactive on it is really important too. Engagement with your emails is an indicator that inboxes want your emails, that subscribers want your emails, which tells inboxes, keep delivering these emails, even to people who aren't necessarily opening them every time because other people want these emails. So that means there's like a collective good happening. Uh, this is what these computers do. I'm like personifying computers right now. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of, it's basically like the conversation a computer has with when an email is sent is like, okay, well, lots of people have been replying to these emails and clicking on them. And this individual really hasn't recently, but it, we have all these other data pieces that say these emails are valuable. So I'm going to keep delivering these emails to this inbox, even though they're unopened most of the time. So it keeps your deliverability up to create engagement. 
one of the most powerful things you can do from a product development standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, from an email subscription deliverability standpoint is in that very first welcome email, when you deliver your, uh, your on your promise in the opt-in, your discount code or whatever it is that you are offering, deliver on that and ask them a question. Ask them a question that, uh, so you can ask them a question that has something to do with your product. You can also ask them a question that has nothing to do with your product. Um, so I've seen things like, uh, oh, and also this email, when you're asking, anytime you're asking a question or asking for engagement, it's ideally sent from a person and not from the brand. Um, so, right. Like, uh, you know, Hey, this is Alex from, um, from the suitcase company. And, uh, like here's your coupon code for your next set of luggage. And, um, also I'm currently, there's a office debate right now on the best uh, snack. And my opinion is peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I would love to know what your favorite snack is and ask people what their favorite snack is because they have an opinion and they want to tell you. And what, especially when you offer yours, um, they either are like, yes, peanut butter and jelly. That is the best snack. I am with you team PB and J or they're like, Alex, that's an entire sandwich. That is not a snack. <laughs> have a banana. Um, you know, so they, they engage with you that helps your deliverability. It helps humanize the brand. Um, it might not be a great like product piece, um, but it does then give you a data point that you can point to in future emails. I mean, imagine somebody, you could even do it as like a multiple choice. So um, you either have them reply and it can be that a conversation or you can start collecting data and say, hey, we are we've come to the conclusion one of these four snacks is the best snack on the planet. Which one do you vote for? And ask people to click. That then becomes a data point inside of your Klaviyo account that you can point to later in uh, your retention flows or um, in like a fun random campaign where you can bring up that snack that they voted on in down the line, right? Like, so your suitcase company, what does it have to do with snacks? Well, talking about like their next trip and we know you're probably going to pick a peanut butter and jelly because that's what you voted for. Um, like just pulling back that connection of what they engaged with you on creates this like real connection. I mean, it's, it's all just saying like, I said something and they quote listened, you know, like they listened to me and it mattered what I clicked on, how I replied. Listen, all human beings want is to feel seen and heard. That's all anybody wants. It's like, I have two little kids. That's the core of parenting. Like all <laughs> every human wants from the day we're born is to be seen and heard. And it just gets a bigger need, the bigger we get. So if you as a brand can provide a way for your customers, your subscribers to feel seen and heard, that creates a connection that then makes it really hard to go buy a suitcase from Target instead of from Alex's suitcase company. And when I release my PB&J line that's inspired by the colors of a PB&J <laughs> sandwich, I know they're all coming to buy it. Right. Yeah. You could totally have like a brown suitcase with like a purple stripe on it. And it can you can send an email to everyone who voted on PB&J. You could have like a snack line of suitcases based on colorways from the snack choices. 
and it's got a liner on the inside because I know all the other people who are eating those different snacks. Like it's got this plastic liner for when you pack all those snacks and your chocolate bar melts, it's not going to get on anything. I got a special compartment for you. See? Yeah. Here, free product line ideas for you. One thing I'd love to ask you, you're, 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 you're really talking about the human element in email. And I think so many brands, and, and sometimes at Loop, we get into this funk as well, where we want a perfectly designed, stylized, branded look and feel to an email because that's how email is supposed to be. But it sounds like in a lot of what you're recommending, it's kind of taking some of that away and making it more personal. And so what would you say to some, a brand who's looking at their emails and they're all perfectly designed and, and we're sitting here talking about plain text human emails? Well, one, you can create designed human connections, right? So you can create a, a nicely designed um, email with a question in it where people are asking, you're asking them to reply or asking them to vote on something. The alternative is a text-based email. And text-based are really, they're very rare in e-commerce. And that's what makes them powerful. They inherently have this human element because even when somebody knows this is automated, it still takes away the like barrier of here's a template. And I mean, just the simple act of like my phone has to load all of these images and now I'm bored waiting for this email to open for the like 0. 0.0003 seconds that it takes to open. Um, you know, that happens. People disconnect if it's not loading right away. So removing that barrier to the message. It can be used really strategically. I don't think you should do away with all templated HTML emails. I think that there's a nice balance to be struck or a um, a time to like build relationship and choose to set aside your branded images and those uh, logos and things that you really care about and focus on the customer because they, I don't know, there are some brands that rely heavily on logos. I'm thinking like Louis Vuitton and some of those like labels that that's what people want to see on their product. And so the logo means so much, but I mean, for most cases, they really, your customers don't care about that as much as they care about who you are, what your mission is. Um, who's behind the brand, they, they want to know if it's one person hustling and doing everything and they're supporting you with their dollars. They want to know if you employ, a, you know, a team of all women for, and you are supporting their families. Um, there are entire, you know, there are all different segments of customers out there and creating you know, building your platform of this is what I believe in and this is what we stand for as a company helps people connect. Uh, text-based emails are great for that. I've also seen text-based emails that do selling that aren't just for building relationship. Um, Everlane for a little while was doing this. They would launch a new product on like a Thursday, I think, um, send the big, beautiful uh, templated email with here's our new product. And then Sunday afternoon, you'd get a two paragraph text-based email, inline links. Hey, in case you missed it, here's what came out on Thursday. We're hearing X, Y, and Z feedback about it. Um, there's only a few of them left. Here's a link to grab it, you know, and, and just mentioning 
very conversationally, very casually, just in case you missed it on Thursday, here it is again. Um, but not presenting images of it all and and throwing it out that way. Because the other thing is people learn different ways. People experience things different ways. Sometimes, I don't know how many times in your life, it happens a lot in mine. I have to hear something lots of different ways before I actually hear it. That's everyone. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to, not everyone's going to engage with that Thursday email. Um, and not everyone's going to engage with that Sunday email either. But they're kind of hedging their bets against losing people, they're saying instead of losing people to this big email that we spent a ton of time building and have graphics in and all that, we'll lose some people, but we can gain them back on Sunday with this text-based email. I love that. Variety, but like also just your brand's personality in your emails. It's not just a tool. It's a, it's an extension of your brand. And we talked, we talked a bit about a few different examples of using emails here to build engagement, to introduce your personality, establish a relationship with the customer. Email for retention purposes. If every brand listening right now, if they could only do one thing with email, what would you recommend that people do to boost retention through email? That one tactic that you really think every brand should be using right now. I think most brands know about post-purchase emails. But there are a couple of different kinds, or post-purchase flows, rather. There's a couple of different kinds. Post-purchase pre-delivery is one flow. Post-delivery is a second flow. Um, And then post, like, decent amount of product usage is another flow. Uh, So uh, typically, these are all combined into one big flow, uh, and they usually all of that information happens before the product has even arrived or within a couple of days of its arrival, especially with delayed shipping times and all of that, that we've seen Um, that post-purchase pre-delivery everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people rely on transactional emails to get the job done in that time period. I don't want to bother them. They're, they're getting the transactional emails. That's enough. We probably even have some SMS going out. It's too much. I don't want to be too much with the messaging. Transactional emails are different and your customers know that they're different. You are bothering them if you're just throwing them on a sale email list or um, making asks of them after they've just given you their money and they don't have the product in hand. You are not bothering them if you're educating them and you're helping them get ready for your product to arrive. So the example I like to share is from Brooklinen. Brooklinen sells sheets. That is not something that someone's buying every single month. So uh, however, there's a case to be made for seasonal sheets or um, like every, so they could be by season. You could change out the type of sheets you have. You could have a subscription. Um, You could have annual like sheets get used a lot, washed a lot. Um, so they could have a subscription, but their post-purchase pre-delivery, they do a lot of education around, Hey, when you get your sheets home, you should wash them. And if you want them to be super soft, here's exactly how you should wash them. And so that way you can go like, I don't know if you need to throw a cup of vinegar in the wash or something, you can make sure you have that in your house before the product gets to you. Um, here's something you should expect when you take them out of their package. This is what, you know, some people have mentioned there's an odor that's fine because you're going to wash them anyways. Um, You know, those kinds of things. Um, I always think like, I don't know if Lululemon does this, but they make this yoga mat that a lot of yoga mats actually smell like rubber when you first get them. Send an email that says like, hey, 
when you first get your yoga mat, you're probably not going to want to use it right away. Like we know we want, you want to use it, but you also want to go hang it outside for a day. Let it air out. If you tell me that before I get it and before I open it, smell that thing and go like, wow, I'm never going to use this yoga mat. And then I have to go Google to figure out like, what is the solution to this problem? and Why did I buy this stupid thing? <laughs> it helps, right? Like it helps with that kind of re- purchase regret, post-purchase regret. Um, and again, it builds that relationship. It says, Hey, you are important to us. You spent money with us. You are not just a credit card. You're a person and we appreciate you. And we're going to teach you as much as we know. We're industry experts in our field. We're going to teach you everything we know about this product that's headed in your way. Um, and then post delivery is when you can start to talk about, uh, you know, different ways other people are using the product, um, continued care long term, how to get the most out of it. That's when you can maybe ask for a review. That's uh, when they have used it a lot that like kind of everyone's time period is different based on your product. But then there's that third flow that's really about like long term use. Um, what does that look like? That's when we introduce this idea of a referral program, a loyalty program. Um, not right away. What I see a lot is make a purchase. There's a pop up on the screen. Get $20, send $20, you know, 20% off for your friend. You get $20. Like I just, I literally just hit buy. Like I don't even have the product yet. How am I supposed to go tell my friends about how comfortable your shoes are when I didn't even try them on yet? Um, so you know, just separating out those buckets of that post-purchase experience. And I mean, literally think through your own experience buying something. Where are those kind of different journey points? And how can you message to your customers during those times? I love what you share with the pre-delivery email. I know personally as a shopper, it's almost that anticipation. It's a very like heightened emotional state as a shopper. You're so excited. You got over the hump and, you know, put your credit card in and it's on its way. And now you're just thinking about it. You can't wait for it to arrive. So it's almost like you're playing and doubling down on the positive emotions happening in that time. Yeah. If you just let it stagnate, they're like, man, why did I spend 260 bucks at this brand? Right? Like all you can see it on your credit card statement right away. But you don't have that product. And if you don't have messaging from the brand other than here's your receipt, then it starts to become regret. Well, there's one other area of regret that I would love to dig into. And it's the exact flip side of, of that excitement when you think a product that you love is on its way. And then you open it and realize it's, it's actually not something you love. And um, this is totally relevant because the Loop and Clavio integration is coming in just two weeks. But when these dreaded refunds come up, um, email, I think, gets gets a bit unclear for brands. How can I use email to my advantage with something as as bad or as negative as a refund? Do you have any thoughts or strategies on how how brands can better take advantage of that interaction? Yeah, I saw one recently. I was on Twitter. I don't remember who shared it, but there was an email um, that there a return happened and then that customer got an email uh, or a return was initiated um, the customer got an email that said something along the lines of like, we know that X product didn't work out for you. Have you thought about this product and then shared more details about a similar product or an alternative? Um, so I think like having that data and that's where that 
loop Clavio integration is really cool because Clavio can store all that data for you. What product was returned? And then how can you take that data point and plug it into an email and say like, okay, well, you didn't love this product. Um, and even maybe they even shared their reason why. And that's at another data point. Here's you said you said you didn't like this product. Here's why you didn't like it. So because of that, we're going to offer you this option. And whether it's, um, you know, offering another product, you could offer if you do something like uh, I know there's some clothing brands that are doing like virtual fittings um, or consultations with stylists. I've seen um, some brands doing those things. So maybe reiterating that value add of like, we know this didn't work out for you. We do have this virtual stylist option. Is it something that you would be interested in? Because you think that there are some options that could work for you, but we don't want you to have that regret feeling again. Um, so using those data points from the information they give you in that process return, being able to plug it into an email and directly say to them like, hey, this didn't work out, but you do have other options. It doesn't have to be a sale ask either. I love that. And I think like what you were saying there is kind of all around this idea that it doesn't need to be the end of the relationship. That person initiated a return. Hey, this you didn't love this particular product. Hey, why don't you give this a try? You talked about the value add. I'm seeing a lot more brands do that kind of consultative approach before making a purchase as well. Like, hey, we have this. Or even within your emails, talking about what your return policy, what your exchange policy is all the time, like making people feel comfortable. It's okay if you got the wrong product. Like, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to make this right. Initiate this, like grab something like Val, grab something that you do love. Don't just hold on to something that you hate. Sometimes we might actually want to be like, when you're talking about push someone towards disengagement, I feel like sometimes we need to restructure our mind and be like, maybe we do want to push someone to return something. I'd rather have them in something that or having something they love than sitting there with something I don't hate, I'll just maybe throw it in my closet and never wear it again. One one of my favorites that I got was um, a pair of leggings from Outdoor Voices. They, uh, I tried two different kinds of leggings. One was one I'd already purchased. One was new to me. Uh, and I got an email a couple of days after those leggings arrived. I thought it could have come a little bit sooner because I had already encountered this problem. But the email said, Hey, we've we know from product feedback from other customers that this particular legging, this name of legging, um, fits a little bit smaller than most of our other leggings. And it's actually supposed to do that because of this and this and this technology. However, some people just don't like that. And that's totally fine. And we've found that when if you size up, you'll be really comfortable. So we have free returns and exchanges. Feel free to do that. Um, and it was a text-based email. And it, it just took that data point of like, you bought that set of leggings. We know that we've had this feedback from other customers. We're going to send an email to everyone who bought that set of leggings shortly after it arrives to say like, hey, if it doesn't work out, that's totally okay. And you can just return it to us. Um, and maybe you want to exchange it for a bigger size. And like that just makes such a difference. I actually tried them on the second they arrived. So I could have used that email like that day because I think I had already implemented the return or initiated the return. Um, but, you know, those kinds of things where you can be proactive in the feedback that you're getting to future customers. We talked about a lot of different retention email tactics here. And one question that I feel 
is coming to me more and more often is should should a brand be hiring for a retention email marketer or like can can the email marketing team be building these types of flows like do you think you have to be hiring someone with that retention mindset or can you be using the email marketing team you already have to be building out a lot of the tactics we were talking about today yes is my answer <laughs> um you can hire people specifically for retention and i definitely have seen those jobs uh starting to pop up specifically in kind of consumables and brands where uh, that's a area they really want to go after or uh, brands where they want to start that subscription. Maybe they're not a consumable brand, but they want to build a subscription and they want someone to own that. The other side of it is having retention baked into another role like email marketing, um, like customer success. Uh, so depending on the size of your org, you can definitely build retention in. I think more than anything, I think retention is a mindset and not a role. It's like, what are we doing in email? What are we doing in customer success? What are we doing with the product development? What are we doing on our website? All of those areas, everyone is thinking about retention the whole time. So it's not just like one person's job to own it. And maybe it's one person's job to track it in regards to like reporting. And, uh, you know, maybe that is the email marketer's job, but it's a mindset and it should be everyone's job in my opinion, especially if you're a subscription brand. So I have one last question for you coming from me. You've mentioned Brooklyn and you've mentioned Outdoor Voices, two just fantastic brands. I think one of the things we've learned is most brands love to see what other brands are doing and and borrow tastefully, of course. Steal like an artist. Steal like an artist, right. Like, you know, make it our own, put our own voice on it. But um, I would love to just hear again from you if, if there are any other brands that are top of mind that are just crushing this and doing it the right way that we that we and our brands can borrow inspiration from. Yeah, uh, Olipop is one that comes to mind right away of doing retention the right way. Eli on their team is actually, that's his role is customer success and retention. Uh, they're a consumable, so it's a great place to go uh, to look at customer retention. Um, they do a really nice job of being, they actually are very hands-off about it. They step back and they don't send email after email after email um, and push. They really take this like, hey, this is an option for you and we want to save you money and we want to make sure you have what you need when you need it, but you don't have to buy a subscription. You don't have to sign up for it. And it almost makes it more appealing, right? Like it's like, oh, well, I don't have to. Well, then I want to. Um, like, don't tell me not to do something. I'm going to do it. Uh, it's almost that approach, right? So, uh, and they do it through email and SMS, which is really fun. Um, so there are lists worth signing up for if you don't already and also buying their product. And because if you buy their product, then you actually get those retention emails. Um, it's a really fun way to uh, kind of see what other people are doing is go buy their product and get their emails and their SMS. And um, there's also a resource. Uh, really good emails is a resource. It's uh, reallygoodemails.com. You, I believe, can sort through by retention. They have different categories um, that people can submit emails to really good emails. So it's kind of like a crowdsourced site. Uh, but there are email marketers behind it who decide like what gets submitted or decide from what is submitted what actually gets posted. They share why it's a really good email. Um, so you can take those. It doesn't say where they built it. So it's not like you, you can't know for sure. I cannot rebuild this exact email inside of Klaviyo. Um, but you can usually uh, take some of the concepts and and apply them to your brand. 
That's awesome. And we'll make sure that that resource gets into the show notes as well as all the brands that Val mentioned so that everyone here can check them out. But good tip there. If you want retention email examples, you're going to have to buy some products so that you can see how they're going to engage you after the purchase. That's right. And that's what uh, Eli at Olipop did in his first couple of weeks. He said to the team, hey, give me X amount of dollars. I want to go buy products from these five different brands and uh, experience their their retention efforts or lack thereof. So smart. Now, Val, this has been an amazing conversation. You've given our listeners a ton of tactical tips. A couple, a couple things I was not thinking you would say, some amazing gems in here. If people want to continue the conversation, where can where can our brands follow along with you? Twitter, LinkedIn, a blog? I check my LinkedIn like once a year. So if you uh, <laughs> if you request me on LinkedIn, please don't be offended if I never reply. Um, but I am on Twitter a lot. So at Love Val Geisler on Twitter, uh, come talk to me there. Tell me that you listen to the show. I you know I love hearing that and what you got from it. Um, and then. Yeah. I mean, I'm a open book. Like we can talk about anything. So happy to come back on the show. Happy to have conversations on Twitter. Happy to annually check in on LinkedIn. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I I would love to talk to people who are listening and want to know more. I can almost guarantee that some brands will be reaching out to you um, after listening to you here with all the insight that you gave. And uh, I'm still waiting for you to accept my LinkedIn request. (laughs) And now I know why. So it's not personal. It's everybody. (laughs) Good to know fantastic conversation today. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. That's been The Exchange, presented by Loop, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.